Let's get joined up. I'm Wayne Kelly and this episode is sponsored by Picklock Publishing, the imprint behind my debut novel Safe Hands, which tells the story of Mickey Blake, a retired safecracker pulled out of retirement for one last job, and Hazel, a desperate mother driven to kill to protect her son from being sucked into a life of crime. It's out now to buy on Kindle and in paperback, and if you're a Kindle Unlimited subscriber, you can read the book for free. That's Safe Hands by W.A. Kelly. Right, that's enough advertising. Cue the theme tune. Hello and welcome to the Joined Up Writing Podcast, where a little procrastination can go a long way. I'm Wayne Kelly and it's episode 207 with Richard D. Bailey, fraud examiner turned FBI whistleblower and now author with his new non-fiction book, Pirate Cove, an insider's account of the infamous Southport Lane scandal. We chat about how Richard used Substack to get his story out there and find an audience, his father's brilliant life advice and, of course, the book, or books that saved his life. Before we get to all that, a quick check-in from me, and it will be a quick one as well, as I, like many of you I'm sure, are racing towards the Christmas holidays and trying to clear the decks, both with my day job and also on the writing side of things. I've been beavering away producing the audiobook version of Safe Hands, my debut novel. Uh, Last weekend I managed to finish the actual recording, many, many hours of it, but now I have to find time to edit it cutting out all the fluffed reads, the dodgy voices and weird intonations and all the rest of it, desperately trying to get it ready for its scheduled December 21st release. Uh, At this moment in time, that deadline is looking a little bit touch and go, if I'm brutally honest. However, this is the reality of trying to build a writing career around your day job, your family and all the other stuff real life tends to throw at you. I'm also chipping away at the first draft of book two and I'm hoping I can get some real momentum going over the Christmas break, you know, in between the copious amounts of food, alcohol and Christmas TV, obviously. Uh, I've just had a bit of a run as well on signed copies of the paperback for Safe Hands, I'm guessing by people looking for stocking fillers for the book lovers in their life, and also another couple of really nice Amazon reviews which have been lovely, Um, nice early Christmas presents for me. So thanks to those of you who have read and reviewed the book so far, I really appreciate it. And if you're still reading it or you haven't got around to it yet, please don't forget to leave a quick rating and review once you do get to the end. It makes a massive difference to debut indie authors like myself, or indeed any authors, because if you like something, you should tell the person and then, you know, you know how the algorithms work and all the rest of it, the same as it goes for the podcast. So that's me, but how you doing? Um, that was an awful impression, wasn't it? Uh, what, you know, what are you writing? How's it going? What do you want to see on the podcast next year? I love to hear from you and I will always reply. And you can do that by emailing Wayne at WayneKellyWrites.com or dropping me a line on the FB page or the Twitter page or whatever. Don't forget to sign up as well to the mailing list over at Wayne Kelly Writes and you'll get a monthly newsletter, but you'll also get a free ebook with two brand new crime stories. I won't spam you, I promise, but you will get one email a month with all my writing news, the occasional free story and links to all the free reads as well as uh, all the, the other sort of exclusive content that you'll find in my newsletter. Right, 
Let's crack on. It's time for today's interview with Richard D. Bailey. So Richard is a certified fraud examiner and for more than 30 years he's been providing realistic financial management and corporate development services to distressed public and private manufacturing and distribution companies. But now he's an author telling the story of a massive corporate fraud that saw him going undercover for the FBI in his book Pirate Cove, an insider's account of the infamous Southport Lane scandal, which is out right now. So enjoy the chat and I'll pop back at the end to wrap things up. And I should mention this will be the last episode this year as I'm taking a few weeks off, but I already have two great interviews recorded and lined up for January, so stay tuned there. Okay, Richard, thanks so much for joining me on Joined Up Writing. Really appreciate it. So why don't we just uh, start off, just give listeners a sense of where you're speaking from and tell us how everything's going in your world at the moment. Well, first, Wayne, thank you for having me on. Uh, It's kind of a thrill and a pleasure. Um, You know, I'm speaking from just south of Boston, Massachusetts, um, but the story takes place essentially in New York, uh, and out in Long Island at a vineyard, but in New York, obviously, in like, you know, midtown Manhattan mm-hmm. with all the, um, you know, amongst all the uh, the finance, the finance world, the Wall Street finance world. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, why don't we get straight to that? You mentioned it kind of, uh, you've alluded to it there, but that's what your new book, uh, Pirate Cove, an insider's account of the infamous Southport Lane scandal. So tell us, tell us a little bit about that. What is what is this book about? This book is about, in 2013, I was hired by a private equity firm that kind of sprung from nowhere in uh, Manhattan. And it was helmed by a 26-year-old supposed, you know, financial genius and, (laughs) you know, wunderkind. Um, And so they hired me because, just a quick background on me, I've spent 35 years being hired by private equity companies and owners to essentially restructure companies that were not performing well. Mm-hmm. Um, and these guys hired me to do a due diligence. This is called Southport Lane. Um, they hired me to do due diligence on prospective investment that they were going to make in a pharmaceutical company in New Jersey. I went down there, spent a week, um, you know, it was just a very odd situation. And at the end of the week, you know, and I have to write an investment memorandum to, you know, endorse the, you know, to say like, you should do this investment or under certain circumstances or don't do this. So I, I spend the week there. It's an extraordinarily odd, uh, situation. The chief financial officer and the, it's a family owned business. And, you know, the family members outside of the, elderly gentleman who was running the place, you know, they didn't want anything to do with me. And mm-hmm. so I go into Southport Lane. It's the first time I've ever been there in their offices in Midtown Manhattan. And the first thing this guy, Alex Burns, well, it's not the first thing he said to me, but we'll get into that in a second. But um, <laughs> he asks me, should he buy this company? And I just rather bluntly responded, no, because you're going to lose all your money. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with that was that bluntness of that was, A, I think Alex Burns liked it. <laughs> and because I think he, you know, because as it later turned out, he was surrounded by a lot of sycophants and grifters. Yeah. Uh, but B, the problem with it was my good friend, Jeff Leach, um, had set this deal up and 
He hadn't even asked me what I was going to say, nothing. And, you know, he really wanted to get the deal done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was just one of those, you know, very tense moments, you know, and, uh, you know, Burns, he walks in the room. He's a 26 year old disheveled, you know, but, you know, in typical Wall Street, you know, finance world of that time, you know, he's in in dark pants, uh, you know, a, a an expensive like, you know, Charles Turt shirt, you know, French cuffs. It's un, it's untucked. His hair looks like, you know. He it could use a wash. He definitely could have used a shave. He walks into the room. He's staring at his phone, and he looks at me sideways and says, "I understand your son's a classic classics major at Yale." He goes, "I was a classics major at Yale, except I was thrown out because I was running a hedge fund out of my dorm, <laughs> and the head of the Yale endowment, who was the legendary uh, David Svensson." Um, the head of the Yale endowment didn't like that. I was beating him. So I was thrown out of Yale. That's the first thing this kid says. To me. <laughs> and Lucky's proud of it. It was bizarre circumstance from the very beginning. And then obviously at some point without going into too much detail, because you obviously don't want to, you don't want to spoil the book too much, but obviously at some point you, you became more and more aware that all was not as it seemed. I did. I did, you know, outside of, you know, a kind of, you know, very different first impression of Alex Burns. I got out to the vineyard and the first day I was there, I was re, you know, I read the acquisition documents and I'm like, I can't believe they spent $12.75 million cash, you know, no debt, no preferred stock, no nothing like you do in normal private equity investing. Uh, 12.75 million cash for something that I could only figure out was worth about five and a half, maybe on a stretch. Six million dollars. Mm-hmm. So, and for the privilege of losing a million five a year, by the way, yeah. So it just didn't make sense. I, I asked them. I said, you know, because there was there was bills that were getting paid that we're getting, you know, like for an insurance company, you know, the the annual insurance bills, we're getting the notice that it's paid in full, but I can't find anything in the accounting records that said that it was paid. Right. You know. So it turns out, you know, that's when I started thinking that maybe there was another count being uh used to pay the bills and turns out there was and when i asked for those bank statements for that other account they fool they gave them to me which was they probably shouldn't have done um uh, but you know one of the guys there was like you know yeah sure here they are um just don't show alex you know just don't tell alex that you have them so i went through the whole thing and you know 18 million dollars came into the vineyard account one day three million went out the out the side door the next you know, then another $5 million went out. I mean, the money was just taking off. and It was going to places like Merrill Lynch. It was going to, you know, E-Trade and things like that. So clearly they were sucking money out the side door. And that's when I really started to uh, I'll say, okay, you know, something's not right here. So. so so, obviously further down the line, it became apparent that there was something criminal going on here and, and there was a there was a fraud, essentially a massive fraud taking place. 350 million. Jeez. So obviously further down the line, you, you got uh, and again, we don't want to give away too much because obviously this is this is in your book, but you, you essentially became an inside man, if you like. You were kind of undercover. Is that right? And you were working for the FBI, essentially. Well, yes. Um, what happened is. Alexander Burns just one day quit when everything started, when, you know, the house of cards started to fall in on him. So 
I was, okay, something's definitely wrong here. Um, so yeah, then I went to a private detective that I knew and had done some work with. He told me that there was absolutely, this is a federal crime, that's what's going on here. And we hired, I hired an attorney in, in New Jersey, Michael Weinstein, and he put me in touch with the FBI. They asked me if I'd be willing to wear a wire. <laughs> and I had to think about it. And if I said, you know, at this point, you know, Wayne, I'm kind of in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. Well, sure, might as well. Because quite frankly, I wanted to be on the right side. Something was going, something bad was going to happen. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure I was on the right side of it. Yeah. So obviously, eventually this plays out. And as, as I say, I don't want you to go into the ins and outs of how it actually played out, because that's what people are going to learn when they read the book. But so what, how did you go from that to being inspired or, or have the desire to actually want to write a book about it. Because as you say, you know, you, you writing wasn't, you hadn't, this is your first book, isn't it? It's, so it's it not is. something yes. that you, so it's not something you'd done in the past. So what, what made you a inspired to write it and, uh, and were you at all daunted by the prospects and tell us a little bit about how Substack sort of played a part in it and how you kind of went down the serialization route initially with it. I realized that I had been on kind of an extraordinary roller coaster of a journey. Um, but I just, you know, didn't think anybody else really mattered. I sat down and told my mother, who's now 95, you know, mm -hmm. I sat down and told her the story. And she's a school teacher. And she just looked at me and says, write it down. Write the book. Yeah. And I was like, and I, it, I really thought about it. And, and frankly, it took me, I made about half a dozen different attempts and got absolutely nowhere. I've never written a book before. I don't know how to, you know, but I couldn't finish because it didn't have a story. It didn't have, a, it didn't have a, an ending to the story mm -hmm. because, you know, the, the U.S. justice system moves very, very slowly. And, um, you know, finally, I got a call the late October in 2021 from the FBI agent, the lead FBI agent. And the FBI agent said, well, that brings the case to a close. Now you can write the book. Yeah. And that's when I started. So I put it, I serialized it and put it on Substack, which was, you know, the smartest thing I ever did. So I just started doing it chapter by chapter. I tried to do, you know, two a week, but that was getting a little tough. Uh, so I was doing one a week and I, I stopped for about a month and a half. And people started calling me saying, well, what's going on? Where's the next <laughs> chapter? I want to read the next chapter it kind of forced me to finish it, you know? Yeah. And as I, as I, I wrote a piece for writer's digest um, about a month ago and I said, you know, I, I wrote the thing angry and, you know, writing, you know, and writing was a little bit of therapy for me because by the time I, it was over, I, I wasn't really angry. I kind of sorted everything out in my head, you know, emotionally, I was still, you know, pissed off that I was, I didn't work for, you know, two plus years, three years. Um, and, but, you know, it was the smartest thing I did because it got it out. And once it was out, you know, I just sat there and <laughs> I sat there and put it all in one PDF and I emailed about 50 publishers. I got about three that said, uh, they were interested. And, uh, I went with Bancroft press with Bruce, Bruce sports. Yeah. Well, that's great. So what, as you say, so it was kind of therapeutic for you and you kind of got it out there. So once you once you had got it out there, did did it 
did you still find that you'd still got the desire to write and did you is it kind of giving you the bug to do more stuff i have the answer to that is yes it's you know it's like exercise writing it to me is kind of like exercise and i need more exercise but um that all said you know the best feeling about exercise was how you felt right after you finished um that's the way i always felt about every time i wrote a chapter on substack mm-hmm. it was okay done and you know that kind of small sense of accomplishment uh i found um very enjoyable um so yes i'm trying to do i've, I've outlined a second book it's fiction but it kind of sits in the same area you know after all these years in private equity and finance and you know wall street and all that kind of stuff it's 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 what i it's what i know well so i'm doing one about a you know a private equity firm that's not really a private equity firm that tries that basically is trying to take over the world <laughs> well that's great so there's a segment on the show that i call it's the book it's the book that saved my life, saved my life. yeah it's the book it's the book that saved my life the book that saved your life so if i said that phrase to you what what would what is the book or books that kind of spring to mind if i say that what what's a book that's been really important to you during your life or or something that you might return to or or that that you hold close to your heart um well there's there's a number i i was i was a great reader of nonfiction as a kid i didn't read fiction i didn't read normal stories like everybody else did you know i read biographies but you know part of my thing and you know and i again i went to this is going to sound a little pretentious and i'm going to apologize to your <laughs> um i went to a i went to a very strict catholic college here in america providence mm-hmm. college and i took a i was a political science major and i took a political theory course and this is the pretentious part mm-hmm. um and they made us read plato's republic yeah and for about three years, I kept, I had a pocket copy of that. And I kept it in my back pocket. And I would always just go back and read it, read certain areas, you know, about, and, and, and again, I'm no angel or anything like that, but, you know, how to be a just person mm-hmm. and how being just, you know, kind of is, is what makes you happy in this, in, in this world and things like that. And again, it was that book. And then there was a book written by Walter Isaacson called Wise Men. About uh, you know the the guys who forged the who basically made the post World War II world, which you know I was fascinated with. So yeah, I was uh my my reading habits are are not quite uh, as uh, as fun as others. So no, I don't. I as I always say in that section, it doesn't matter whether it, I think it's fiction or nonfiction. Everybody's got something that's important. I think books in general, whether it's f- fiction or nonfiction, and it's good. Oh, without question. So as we kind of move towards uh, wrapping things up, what as you've kind of travelled through with your job, your career, and everything else, what would you say is the kind of best piece of advice, creative or otherwise, that you've been given along the way that's kind of kind of helped you? Maybe something that fed into the writing of uh, Pirates Cove, maybe as well. Um, well, the best piece of advice I ever got, I paid no attention to, and I wish I did. <laughs> um, and, and that was I couldn't figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, when I graduated from college. And my father said to me, start with your obituary and work backwards. <laughs> that's a good, That that's, was the single best piece of advice I've ever heard. That is a great piece of advice, to be fair. You know, if you want to plan out your life, that's the best way to do it. Unfortunately, that's not the way I did it. 
Um, uh, the best piece of advice going forward is, you know, you're going to meet a lot of crazies in this world and you're going to be told that there's a lot of ways to get rich. And I've always said, I have no problem getting rich. My father in his, uh, in, in his, uh, retirement profession was a minister and wrote a, uh, a sermon one time that it's no sin to be rich. Um, you know, but I, I, I've, I'd rather be, and this is what kind of pushed me during the Southport Lane experience and goes back to Plato's Republic. I'd rather be on the right side of things than be rich. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you just, there's, there's a whole lot more to life, you know, than having a whole lot of money and being so focused on getting money and, you know, I have two sons, one's 25, one's 28. You know, they're just, you know, kind of getting launched in their careers. And I keep on telling them, guys, you know, there's more there's more to this life than money. You know, so. Absolutely. And obviously drove you on during the tribulations that you had to go through, you know, for the. Um, for right. The, but let's also, you know. but let's also, you know, I have to remind myself. I was also getting really well paid and I let, I wanted to keep that paycheck. <laughs> yeah let's not lose sight of that the american dream <laughs> yeah i mean you know, so there's there's trade-offs in the whole thing yeah i mean you know you know i wanted to i wanted to keep getting i mean i was making a lot of money and i was sitting there going well this is really nice you know and if i sit there and just walk away it, you know i'm not going to get this paycheck anymore and yeah you know that's but that, I get to be the know. right thing and get paid get paid well well that seemed like a pretty good deal well, that's that's the dilemma that people will be able to read about. So just remind people, where can they find the book? Is the book the book's out now, is it, or is it about to come out? The book is out now, came out November 7th. You can find it on uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, lots of other sites online. Um, it's in um, hardcover. It's There's an audio book, and there's a Kindle, an e-book. Fantastic. And where can people find out more about you online? Uh, you can... <laughs> It's kind of funny writing this because I never really had much of an online presence. Um, <laughs> now you can just Google Richard D. Bailey, Pirate Cove, and you get more than you know, more than more than you'll need, more than you bargained for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I'll put all of those links in the show notes. But for now, Richard, it's been great to chat to you. Thanks for coming on Joined Up Writing. Wayne, thank you very much. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Joined up writing. There you go. And thanks again to Richard. And I'll put all of his links in the show notes over at joinedupwriting.co.uk. That's it for this week. Other than me reminding you to make sure you subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, wherever else you get your podcasts from. And then you can have the show downloaded automatically every time. Also, remember to leave us a nice rating and review, as I mentioned earlier, because it does help other people to find the show or, you know, just keep telling your friends about it. That would be marvellous. So thanks for listening this week. Don't forget I'm taking a little break and I'll see you in January. So uh, I'm Wayne Kelly. Happy writing. Merry Christmas. And I'll see you next year.